Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And welcome to Secure the Insecure, the podcast where I say it's okay to not be okay. I'm Johnny Seifert, and every week I'm joined by one very special guest. What am I doing here? Well, I'm here for a Valentine's Day special. Yes, normally I put an episode out every Friday, but this week, if you're listening in real time, there's a brand new episode today, Valentine's Day. And this is a bonus, and there's only one guest that I can celebrate it with. Now, my guest this week, you will know as a 32-year-old pirate who for the past six years has been our favourite star of The Only Way in Sussex. He's also been part of Celebs Go Dating and Celebrity MasterChef, the latter making one of the best sticky toffee puddings I wish I'd had tried. Away from the camera, he is dog-loving, covered head-to-toe in tattoos, and has the most beautiful friendship with someone from the other side of London, Mr. Sam Thompson. But rather than focusing on the outside, we're going to look at the inside. I'm delighted to say joining me on Security and Secure this week for a Valentine's Day special in association with Badu is the pirate himself, Mr. Pete Wicks. Hello, Pete. Good morning, my friend. How are you? I'm all right. How are you doing, my friend? I'm, I'm very good. All the better for seeing you, mate. It's been a while. Well, look, you know who you've got to blame for that? Yourself. <laughs> oh, are you coming for me straight away? Oh, yeah, obviously. <laughs> nice. Uh, it's nice to be here, mate. It's nice to catch up. Well, this is the thing. I, uh, I know a very different version to the one everyone else knows on TV because I've never seen you as what, you know, TV programs will portray you as a love rat or grumpy. You've always been really kind to me. You've always had a really deep chat with me and you've always given me the time over the years. And I really appreciate that. Mate, do, do you know what? I think that's, that's one of the things about doing reality TV um, and when you are in the public eye a little bit is people only see a small proportion of who that person is. Um, and I've said this over the years so many times and that's kind of where the pirate king, the pirate thing came from. Is pirate Pete is like the TVP, and then just Pete is Pete, and that's that's the Pete that you know and, and and most people know. So that's kind of how I separate the two, if that makes sense. You almost become like a caricature of yourself. There's a lot of people who have been saying this recently. Gemma Collins was on Piers Morgan's Life Stories on Thursday night, and she said, "There's a the GC." And there's the Gemma Collins. I've got Governor B on my podcast in a couple of weeks coming out. And he said there's Governor B and there's Isaac. Why are all of you and people in the celebrity public profile giving yourselves these distinctions rather than being true to yourself and actually showing us who you really are? You know, what? I, I don't think it's about not being true to yourself. I think it's you give a proportion of yourself that you are OK for everyone to judge and, and, and for everyone to criticise and put down or, or love or whatever else. But if you don't separate the two, that's how you can get lost in this kind of reality world where what everyone is saying online or what everyone's saying when they're watching you really matters because it starts to affect you. So I think it's, it's almost like a defence mechanism, I think, for a lot of people. Because if everyone thinks Pete the Pirate is a bit of a dick then it doesn't bother me that much. If someone had actually met me and, and, and like you, I've spent time with and you thought I was a dick, then it would bother me because that's actually, you've seen kind of the me that is relaxed and the me that isn't in front of the cameras and, and, and the me that is kind of the, the, the true version of myself. But I think when you, when you come up with a GC or pirate or governor B or whatever it may be, you're still yourself, but you're a version of yourself that you're allowing people to see. You've got control over that. And I think that's really important to, you know, for your own kind of headspace. 
But if you're controlling that, surely then when you're getting trolled and it's, you know, you're being tagged in and it says, at Pete Wicks, I can't believe what you've just done. That's taking the character into reality. Not necessarily, because I think people will only see, they never get context. Whenever you watch a reality show or whatever else, you watch a proportion of what's happened. You know, if we're filming TOWIE or, or, or you're on any other show, really, you see a section of what's happened that makes good TV. You don't know the backstory behind it. You don't know the reasons that um, you may have said these things. You don't know what people may have done. You don't know, you don't know the full story. So people, because that's not interesting enough for people, and you don't have enough time to listen to all that. So when you kind of become this pirate Pete thing or, or, or your reactions, it, it, do you know what? It's almost a way of, of, of putting the blame, the blame of your mistakes on someone else. I, I blame all my mistakes on pirate Pete, <laughs> not on Pete. But then pirate Pete is who you're giving out there and yeah. how effectively you want to be seen. Because at the end of the day, although you've got TV producers and TV casters, you've got an audience who also buy into you as well. They buy into your Instagram following, your Twitter following. And firstly, that creates work for you as an influencer you know you've got 1.3 million instagram followers that therefore will mean brands want to work with you and secondly we're all very self-conscious and we all care what people think we're all people pleasers so surely that's ending up coming back to you negatively rather than positively not necessarily i don't think because i think um we've when i when i first got into tv and the whole public eye thing i always said that whatever i did i would I would do as myself, whether it be right or wrong. And I've made so many mistakes over the years, um, you know, and I've paid the price for that a lot of times, but also I've done a lot of good things and, and, and enjoyed the kind of benefits of that as well. So as long as you're being authentic to yourself, but I think even having like an alter ego or whatever you want to call it, you're still being authentic to yourself, but you're, you're kind of putting a, like a bit of a barrier in place. Uh, if that makes sense, because I think it's, it's very easy. And, that, and that's why you see a lot of people, especially younger people coming in Love Island or people that just get into reality and they're quite young. If they've not had a bit of life experience, it's very easy to take all the negative stuff and then it consume you in your time when you're away from the TV and you're away from the public eye. Because everyone has a life away from the public eye. It doesn't matter what you do in reality TV. Your whole life isn't on TV. Parts of your life are on TV. And that's the only thing you have control over. When you're yourself and you're sat at home on your own, if you don't take yourself out of that bubble, that's when things really start to affect you. And I think it's just a way of dealing with it. And that's probably why a lot of people do it is it's you're still yourself and you're still your kind of authentic self if you're doing it properly, but it gives you kind of a bit of space to, to, to have a bit of perspective and come back and think, well, hold on, this is just me now. I'm not a bad person. Even if everyone's saying you're a bad person, as long as you're happy with yourself. And I've always said, if, if I can go to bed at night, knowing that anything I've done, whether it be a mistake or not, I've done for the right reasons and I never meant to hurt anyone, then I'm okay with that, regardless of what anyone else thinks. So I think you just allow the Pirate P or the GC to take the flack for it, and it's your way of separating so it doesn't affect you too much. For you and for Gemma, for example, you both were adults, effectively, when you went into reality TV. You weren't out of school, out of college, and you weren't 18 or 19 where you could really be moulded by the TV. Like you said, there's two different personalities to you, whereas a lot of people who then go on to Love Island are moulded to be a certain way, and they think they need to live up to their expectations. And the problem is, being on reality TV, you are freelancers, your TV shows aren't always on, therefore you're not always getting paid, which means you're having to keep up with the Jones. So it's not the fact of, whilst I'm on TOWIE and we're filming, I'm going to go to Chiltern Firehouse every night, it's okay, I actually can't afford to go there now, or I can't afford to have that latest bag, and I can't be seen to go into Primark because I've got to keep up with everyone else now. And I think that's the problem, is that people, that's how people get wrapped up in this kind of reality world, especially if you, you go from kind of not being well-known to them being really well-known overnight. People initially, I think, think that that's going to last forever, and it's not hard work to, to kind of make a career out of this stuff, but it is hard work. It is hard work to make a career, because staying relevant is the hardest part. There's always new, fresh, better looking, younger, more interesting people coming through. That's, that's kind of how competitive reality has become. When I first started six, seven years ago, there wasn't as many shows, the Love Island didn't exist then. Every six months, well, obviously not in the last year because of COVID, but every six months you've got a brand new crop of, of Love Island stars. And it's only really the ones who are, I think, authentic that end up staying and actually making a career out of this stuff. And, and, and everyone, you know, the 15 minutes of fame type thing, it's a, it's, a, it's a real thing. And people find that very hard to, to deal with because they think this is down their life. 
So they go out and splash money on cars and bags and this, that and the other, and they can't keep up with that lifestyle because the work dips down. If you're not relevant enough and you're not interesting enough, then that kind of pressure puts it on people to, to stop being themselves and start being what they think everyone wants them to be. Does that make and sense? And this is the problem. You know, January 2020, we had Love Island and it was filmed in South Africa uh, for the first time. And you had a cast of 40 people who went on a show who came out thinking they are famous, they've made it in life. And then COVID happened and there were no personal appearances. There were no events. There were no red carpets. There was no okay, we need you here, here, and here. We're going to put you on this next TV program. And effectively, that whole cast just got dismissed. And I think now that we've had COVID for a year, and we're still not going to be doing these events again this year, but we have brought back reality TV to an extent. You know, Sebsco dating filming in a mansion, for example. Towie filming safely. That's not going to lead to new influences now, because I think we're done. And I think we've noticed that actually we don't need to look to influencers to be happy and to be wanting to live their types of lives anymore. Yeah, and I think that's really important because it, it, it became quite saturated and I think a lot of people were looking at all these people living these different lives and it, and it has a detrimental effect because you're constantly trying to keep up with what you think people want to see or, or how you think people want you to be and actually people stop being themselves. And I think that's the problem now and I think people are starting to, to realise that actually being yourself is the best way to go whatever you do. Whatever you do, being yourself is the best way to go. Whether that means that you make mistakes or not, you have to you stand there and, and own up to that. Everyone makes mistakes, we all do. And just being in the public eye doesn't mean that you're not gonna make those mistakes, but people feel like they can't. And that's why people end up dipping off because you, you can see through that. You never really know who the real reality people are. You don't know who the people behind that person is. People have got legacies. You know, Even if you've been doing it for six years, you've got a legacy that you are effectively one of the you know, older Towie cast now. And I think every year when they bring in new people, you do see them and it takes a long time. And I'm not talking about a couple of episodes. I'm talking about years to actually go, okay, you're part of the Towie family now. You're here to stay. You're not here for a quick buck to get onto the next reality show. And I think we're so conscious as an audience now that people are coming on just to be famous rather than to be part of a storyline. Yeah, and I think that's, that's the biggest problem is you've kind of lost that thing of people being themselves. Everyone's trying to be the new Megan McKenna or the new Gemma Collins or, or they're trying to be the new Liv Atwood or Joey Essex. They're not just being themselves. You can't be the new anyone else. Every single one of us in the world is unique for, for a number of reasons. And every single one of us has got our own story and every single one of us has got their own opinions and this, that. But people don't want to put that forward because they're too scared of the backlash if something's wrong and you can't live it like that because you make mistakes in everyday life and just because you're in the public eye you can't be fearful of the fact that I might make a mistake every week especially doing reality TV it's, it's, it's the poppy effect isn't it you get built up and one week you're a hero and then next week you're a zero that's life that's the way it is not everything you do in life is 100% perfect and there's this pressure on people to be perfect all the time and, and make their Instagrams perfect and do this but that hasn't got any longevity in it because you never know who the person behind that is and you can't relate to someone you don't know and I think that's the kind of why people like Gemma and Joey and like Charlotte Vicky that's why people like that have got this kind of legacy is because when reality tv back then we just came on and, and we're like well I don't know what we're doing we're just kind of normal people and we're just going to get on with it whereas now people are so worried about the destination and trying to achieve these different things and live up to the legacies of these other people that they're not enjoying the journey they're on and they're not being authentic to themselves. And that is just, it's transparent. And whose fault is that? Is that the agent's faults? Is that the PR's faults? Is that the booker's faults? Is it Instagram? Is it the audience? Who's to say the reason why you're not being authentic is because you're trying to please everyone else rather than yourself? Society's fault. Society's fault. Because there's so much pressure on people to be how they think everyone wants them to be. And you, then you stop being you. And the beauty of every single person in the world is themselves. You are, there is no one like you in the whole world. No one. Embrace that and love that. And I think there's so much pressure for people to, to not be happy with themselves now. It, it's, it's sad, it's really sad. Because people stopped believing in themselves and believing that actually, do you know what? I'm a unique, beautiful person, whatever the, for whatever reason that may be. And they started becoming other people that they look up to. It's all well and good having role models and inspirations and this, that, and the other, but you take inspiration from that. You don't become that. Because when you become that, you lose you. And when you, when you lose you, that's a really dangerous place to be. Because actually, when it's all said and done, 
you're left with a shell because you never found out who you are. Have you ever lived as a shell? <laughs> Have I ever lived as a shell? Um, yeah. Yeah, I think I have, yeah, because I think over the years, I mean, I, I didn't get into TV and, and reality and the, and the public eye and all that sort of stuff till I was a little bit older, I was 26, and I had quite a, a good job in the city and I'd worked and, and I had a bit of life experience, so I went in just with myself and I lost my way a couple of years into it and I started not being myself and, and becoming, becoming a safer version because I was scared of the, the, the backlash of, of, of how I was acting to things. And actually, that's, that's the most dangerous thing. It, it, it affects you in, in, in a way that is not, it's not like just a TV thing. It affects you real life. Because people forget that anyone that does reality TV, they're still real people. Same as that, anyone, you're still real people. And I think people just assume that you're a character all the time and you're not. And it might be easier to, to be that character, but when you come away from that, you're still a real person. And if you start losing who you are, it affects everything you do. It affects you trying to play a character, it affects whatever you're doing. And I think I definitely lived, 100% I lived as a shell for a little while because I didn't know who I was. I lost who I was. What did that do to you mentally? Um, I'm, I'm quite a confident person and uh, a bit of a lone wolf and I'm, I'm not very good at talking about feelings and all that sort of stuff. And I should be, I'm kind of the one everyone else goes to for advice. Um, I think my, my nan, my nan's like my best friend. She calls me a fixer. So I, I like to help other people and look after other people because it takes it away from me thinking about yourself. But actually at some point you have to do that because you can't help anyone until you help yourself. Um, and I think it was, it was, it was quite a, quite a rough time really because you, you feel lost because you don't know how to get back to being who you were because you didn't really know who you were in the first place. Does that make sense? And I think things like anxiety and, and, and mental health these days, a lot more people are talking about it, which is a great, great thing. It's a really great thing. But I still don't think people understand it. And it's very hard to explain to anyone what that feeling is because it's individual. Everyone feels a slightly different way about different things. And I can't really explain how how it made me feel. I, I was just lost. That's the only way I can describe it. Do you think as men, though, we're talking out more about mental health now, even though it's seen as a massive thing, as uh, you know, we know about suicide rates more now amongst men. We've got Mental Health Week, Mental Health Month. Do you think, and we also know about Samaritans and Mind, that you can contact Samaritans, 116123 is their phone number. But do you think as men, we're having those conversations more amongst our peers? Definitely having them more, but not enough. Definitely having it more. I mean, even in the past kind of six, seven years or whatever since I've been in the public eye, it's become more of a forefront thing for people to talk about. Um, you know, and, and I'm really, really fortunate and blessed to have a platform where I've seen it become more of a, a, a topic that people want to talk about. But there's still a taboo and a stigma around it. I still don't feel comfortable talking about things like that a lot of the time. And that's that's mainly because, you know, not the way I was brought up, but blokes are just supposed to be all right. Just supposed to be all right all the time. Um, and I still kind of have that in my head. I'm, I'm always all right. I'm always all right. But I'm not. And I don't think any of us are. But it's, it, it, I don't know how, that, how we can change that other than just to keep the ball rolling on, on, on trying to get people to talk more about these sort of things. But it, it's definitely changed, I think, in the last five years. Would you agree with that? I think it's definitely changed. I've always been open with friends and uh, always with girls, especially, and I've always got on with girls better than boys anyway, because I've always spoken about feelings. Whereas with men, yeah, definitely in the past five years, but I still think there's a big stigma. And for example, if one was to call Mind or the Samaritans, you would think, okay, well, they're going to know my name. They can track down where my phone is. And if you go and see a therapist, you're going to be paying a fortune. So you're not going to go and do that. If you see a counselor, you're going to be paying a fortune. So I think sometimes we just are so secluded. And we're like, we'll just keep it to ourselves, Dan. And it will manifest. And we know at some point it will go away or I'll try and meditate or I'll just go, you know, 10 weeks without sleeping and then it will just disappear again. But those problems, like you said, don't disappear. No, these things don't disappear. And I think men in particular, I mean, listen, women do it as well. I don't think it's a gender thing, but men in particular have got a habit of kind of burying their heads in the sand. Um, I'm definitely one of them people. Um, you know, it's, uh, I think it's very hard. It's probably a lot of the reason I'm single, actually, to be honest with you, because I'm not very good with the whole kind of feelings thing. And if something bothers me or I'm angry or upset about saying, I go off the radar, 
I take myself away from everyone, away from everything, don't answer the phone, sort myself out and then come back and be like, well, I'm fine, nothing wrong. That's very hard for anyone around you to deal with and that's not a very good way of dealing with it. I'm well aware of that, but I still find it hard to, to, to kind of talk about that sort of stuff. And I know a lot of men do, but I don't know, I don't know the best way around that. And I think a lot of men are just, they don't know how to deal with it and they don't know how to process emotions. And actually, I say a lot of men, it is women as well, a lot of people, it's not a gender thing, but a lot of people just don't know how to process emotions. And I don't know how, some people are quite emotionally um, sensitive and, 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 and able to talk about that stuff, and, and, and that's great. That doesn't mean that they don't have as many problems by any stretch of the imagination. It's just people deal with things in different ways. But I just, I find it hard to let out emotions, and I think that's quite a common thing. And I think that's because I don't understand my emotions. And I think that's the biggest thing is people don't understand their emotions. And I don't know how you, how you make people do that or how you help the people or educate people to understand them. But I think that's the key to anything when it comes to the kind of the mental health thing is people understanding what they're feeling and why they're feeling like that. Because at least that gives you a base to, to improve on or, or, or kind of figure out a solution to it. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I think... I think we understand our emotions, but I don't think we know how to communicate them because I think we're very much in the sense of... So I started this podcast, Skiddy and Skirt, because I always have loved insecurities, the idea of insecurities. And I always said, you don't know how someone is until you know what their insecurities are. So, you know, there's no way that you would know certain things about me unless I told you and then you'd go ah that's why Johnny acts the way he acts same as you that you've been in three big relationships you know two or three years it's a big relationship it's not a little fling and yet you still don't think they've known the real you because you don't know the real you but I think you do know the real you you just haven't been able to eloquate that and actually say this is me accept me for this fault because sometimes we're so scared of the rejection that we go well look this is the real me are you going to be able to handle this? And you're, and you're thinking of their perspective. You're a fixer, so you're always going to be wanting to make them happy rather than yourself happy. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's a really good point, to be honest with you, mate. It, 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 a lot of it probably is down to communication as well. It's, I mean, I, I'm, I'm one of them people, I'm quite well aware of a lot of my faults, but I kind of... I don't know. So we always get very deep, Johnny, don't we? we always this is why I love talking to you. I always know that I'm going to, if I speak to you, it's going to be a deep chat. It's not going to be on the surface. We're not going to be talking about Tarry. We're going to have yeah. a deep chat because you're so interesting, but people don't get to see this side of it. And that's what I want my listeners to hear from you. I, I, I just find things, do you know what? Funny enough, actually, we were talking about celebs go dating and going back to kind of that world. Like Anna and Paul uh, are wonderful, wonderful people. I absolutely love them. And I speak to Anna and Paul a little bit outside of the show and all that stuff, and they become really good friends. And Anna once said something to me about, um, you don't feel like you deserve to be loved. And that's why everything fails when it comes to relationships, because you don't feel like you deserve the love. And she, when she said that to me, that was, that was a couple of years ago, it kind of resonated a little bit, because I thought, maybe she's actually right here. You know, I, I know I'm not a bad person, but I always feel like someone could do better. I feel like they should find someone that will treat them better than I would or do whatever else because I don't give them my full self. And it's a fear thing. It's a fear of rejection, isn't it? And as much as I'm a quite a confident geezer and I was saying, no, I'm sweet, I'm sweet, I'm, I'm good as gold. Listen, plenty more fish in the sea. That's not really subconsciously probably how I'm feeling. It's very hard to understand or I find it very hard to understand my emotions. It's not, and then I can't communicate what I'm, I'm very bad at communicating feelings, very, very bad at it, because I brush everything under the carpet and I make a joke out of things. And, and then because I'm a bit of a lone wolf, I, I come away from everything, deal with it in my own little way, and then come back with a bit of a front on. And that's why I, I sometimes feel like relationships and things haven't worked out for me is, is the majority of the time it's my fault. It's always my fault because I've not given enough of myself to that person but i struggle to do that and i don't know a way around doing that i've not figured that out yet eventually i will but i just haven't figured that out yet but do you not think because you as quoting yourself you are a lone wolf and you've always been quite independent not selfish independent that you need someone who's going to be compatible to aid you and be the extra part to you rather than you being that extra part to them because you can easily go into your flat and you've got your dogs, and you can chill and watch the TV very happily. It will take someone who wants to be part of that rather than you trying to be part of their experiences and what they're trying to do. Yeah, I, th I think there's, um, 
I mean, I can only speak for myself. I can't speak for other people, but I think there's a danger with me that that I um, I know I'm flawed. I, I know full well I'm flawed, and I think I try and hide that sometimes um, and just be there for the other person. So they're happy to accept their flaws, but I think they never will mind. So I try and mask my own flaws a lot of the time. When actually, because I, because I think people won't put up with it, because I know I, I know a lot of my own issues and and, and whatnot, um, and I think that's why things always break down is because. I feel like people feel like they, they never quite get enough of me. They never get the full me. And, you know, I've had people over the years say, listen, I want all the bad bits. I want all the bad bits, but I'm too busy trying to be the good guy to make sure that I'm good for them and that they're all right, that I, I kind of just leave myself out of the way. And, and that's, I said the other day on a podcast, I don't feel like I've ever really been in love. And I think that's because I don't feel like anyone has really loved me because they've never seen all of me. Society's always said effectively that we're all going to be in a nuclear family a mum and a dad and 2.4 children yeah. and all our parents generation had that our generation have grown up with the apps and so we're always searching for the next best thing and even when we've got that person we're still talking to the next person we've always been taught to be in this nuclear family and to an extent there's a lot of people who have got that nuclear family who are similar ages to us who have got kids or who have got partners or who are married is there a shift that actually we don't need to find love that no, it's not necessarily we actually need to be of a partner now you to an extent love yourself i don't think you love yourself fully yet and i think you should because even with your thoughts that's still you but to an extent you should be loving yourself completely yet it just might not be that in this world that we're in and i'm not talking about coronavirus or this pandemic i'm talking about in this life that you're living between the age of zero to 100 that maybe you weren't supposed to be of a partner you were always supposed to be independent you're always supposed to be of yourself and if you knew that then everything else would be easy because you're not trying to search for something that doesn't exist. I, I think that's that's a really interesting point. And saying that I, I, I said something actually um, a few months ago, I was talking to someone about it. I believe in soulmates. I, I really do believe in soulmates, but I don't believe everyone ever finds their soulmate. I don't believe. I think some people get really lucky, but I think a lot of people end up in relationships out of ease. And I think a lot of people end up in relationships because they've settled for something. And I never want to be that person. And I think when I was younger, I always used to think, you know, I need to find a bird. And, and when I got to my 30s, I was like, you know, it's about time I settled down. It's about time because you feel the pressure because everyone else is. But I think people are so worried about the destination that they're trying to get to, they forget the journey they're on. And actually, if I don't meet anyone my whole life that I can call a soulmate or end up with, then that's just the way it's going to be. I'm not scared of that anymore. And I've stopped looking. And I think that's a really important thing. When you go looking for something, you're not always going to find it. Love is one of them things for me. I, I mean, I, listen, I don't know much about it, but it just happens. And it, it could be, you can't, you can't go and search for it, I don't think. I think it's just got to happen for, and I don't know how you go and find that. You can put yourself in the right position to find it and go dating and do whatever else. But as soon as you, you make it your kind of, goal to I've got to do this I've got to do this that's how you end up in these relationships that become toxic and last for three years and everyone's in love I said it the other day you get people that go from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship and they reckon they're in love with every single one of them people you're not you're not in love with every single one of them people it's an obsession and a lust and a lack of wanting to be on your own and I'm not at that stage anymore I, I will not settle down and I will not do it until I find someone that I think do you know what my life would not be the same without you exactly and that's the nail on the head it's not infatuation it's not the dependency because you can be alone and there's a lot of men who also are dependent on girls as much as girls are dependent on boys and i think jewish religion we always say there's seven soulmates and you're right it might not be in this life we find that but it has to be someone who complements what we do and the problem is is that We've all been brought up in society with you've got to go to university, you've got to get a job, you've got to have a girlfriend or a boyfriend, and always got all these things lined up. Exactly, because listen, we, we were all here once in your conscience, that's as far as you know, this is your race that you're running, and you've got to run it your way. You've got to pace yourself and, and do it your way. And, and like I said, worrying about the destination you're going to and getting to these certain things by different ages, and it's all well and good having a plan, and everyone goes on about a five-year plan, and I've got this plan, and I've got this plan. What about a present? Everyone's forgetting the present, forgetting to enjoy it. This past year is a prime example of it. How much did we take for granted our lives before COVID and the pandemic? How much did you take for granted just being able to go to the pub or just being able to do this? You never know when that's going to be taken away from you. And if you're too busy planning 
planning what you want to be and where you want to be and who you want to meet and I've got to do it by this time and this time, you're not enjoying the journey you're actually on. You're not enjoying every day and every minute for what it is. And I think the more people do that, certainly the past year and the pandemic has made me think that I'm so grateful and appreciative for some of the things that I've done in my life now that I never were before I took for granted. Because I thought, yeah, it's just another thing. I'm, I'm busy doing this and doing this and doing this. When you get a chance to sit down and go, I've done all right. Or I, you forget how much the people around you matter. You're so surrounded by going out with people who are your mates and everyone's your mate. But actually when there's a pandemic and, and you're left on your own, who are the people that reach out to you? Who are the people that matter? Who are the people that make your life better? Who do you appreciate? How much do you appreciate your family? Because you can't see them but you took them for granted beforehand. Appreciating the now and stop worrying about what's happening in the future because it's not happened yet. Does that make sense? That's exactly it. And I think, and I, every time I speak to friends, like the, the, the question I always ask, and anyone who's a friend of mine who listens to this, well, no, the first thing I would say is, have you lost any friends through this pandemic? Have you, is there people that you were always so, oh, we have to go for dinner and you'd go for dinner as a group, yet you wouldn't ever pick up the phone and speak to them individually? Or you'd never have a phone call with them because you'd only ever see them once a year for dinner. Well, were they really good friends then to begin with? And it's the first time we've actually ever gone. Who are our friends and who are we? And can I stay at home all day alone and not rely on going to the gym and not rely on going to this event and this event to be happy? But what's interesting is that you spoke about the planning and the journey. And again, it's society's thought that we're always being asked what journey are we on? What are we planning for? How are we doing? And you've always got to have an answer. And even back to when we were kids, it was always, well, what are you doing on Saturday night? And if you said you weren't doing anything, what? You're not doing anything on a Saturday night? That's the night to go out. Oh my God, I'm in, alone on a Saturday night. How, how bad of me? And we've learned and been morphed into thinking with that perspective that we have to always be doing something. We always have to have a feeling. We always have to be chasing something, which actually we don't. No, not at all. You, you, you don't at all. You can, it's all well and good having an idea and everyone believes in a fairy tale. And certainly I do. I'd love to get married and have kids and, you know, there's certain things that I'd like in my life. But these are things, these are, these are things that everyone, I think, has got these kind of fantasy things. And that's great. It's great to dream. Like, I'm not saying you shouldn't dream about having all these wonderful things, but don't let that consume you to the point that you're not enjoying where you are now. Because that's the only way that you can, I think, get through things, these bite-sized pieces. Your life's a long journey. You know, if you're lucky, it's a long journey. And if you just don't take the little bite-sized pieces, it consumes you because you worry about where you're going, what you're doing, what you're doing. Bite-sized pieces are things, you know, what am I going to do this week? That's enough of a plan for me. What have I got planned today? That's enough of a plan for me because I can deal with that and I can enjoy the things I'm doing that day or that week or whatever else. Worrying about what I'm doing in five years' time, there's so many anomalies and things that are going to change that that if I let that consume me, I don't know what I'm going to do in five years' time. And I shouldn't be embarrassed to say, I don't know what I'm going to do in five years' time. We don't all need a five-year plan. We don't all need to have certain regimented ways of how we're going to live our lives. I don't know what's going to happen to me tomorrow. So I might as well enjoy today. Not to sound too morbid, on your grave after you've passed away, all it's going to say is the 31st of October 1988, dash, and you know the what, year Johnny? that you passed away. You know what, Johnny? That's not my birthday. Has Google lied? Google, I swear to God, I don't know why it's never been changed. But ever since I've been on TV, everyone always thinks that's my birthday, it's Halloween. It's the day after, it's the 1st of November. Oh, I'm the 2nd of November. Pass me the torch, mate. Scorpios, that's why we get on, mate. Of course we do. Yeah, but that, that, that and many other reasons why we get on. Um, but what you said that you want to have kids and be married. Why? Because I feel like we're chasing this idea of euphoria, of utopia, but that's not going to make us happy because we're going to be still financially corrupt. We're still going to be relying on other people. We're still not going to be selfish. And that's one of the reasons I don't want to be a dad anytime soon because I'm selfish. I don't want to be doing what my dad did. My dad's incredible. He would drive me everywhere. He was, he, he is a taxi service. He even still, I'm 28 years old, picks me up from the station after work and takes me home on a Saturday night because he likes spending 10 minutes with me. I'm not like that. I'm not giving like that. So why do you want to be a parent when you are quite selfish like me? I didn't really want kids until I got the dogs. And, and that kind of changed things for me. I just think it's, it's a really beautiful thing to, to be able to give life. And it's something that I've only really, in the past couple of years, kind of changed my opinion on, if that makes sense. And listen, if it doesn't happen for me, it's not, it's not something that I I'm desperately want to happen. But if I found a woman that I'd loved 
completely. I couldn't think of anything more beautiful than having creating a life with that person and helping someone else's journey and, and creating a life that you can influence in a way to make that person the best version of you, to give all the best bits of you to someone. I think that's just a really beautiful thing. But like I said, it, it's something I would love to get married and have kids, but if it doesn't happen for me, it doesn't happen. It's not something that I'm pressured into feeling like I want to do that right now, or I've got to do that. It's just, it's a dream and I'm happy with the dreams that I've got because I think it's great to dream. It's always great to try and strive for, for different things, but it's also okay if you don't hit that. I think that's the problem is people are so, they get these little things in their head and if they don't hit them, it consumes them. I've got all these wonderful things that I'd love to do, these places I'd love to go. If I don't make it there, I don't make it there. There's nothing I can do about that. As long as you're doing the best you can every day and enjoying the minutes that you've got now, then that's okay. We can all dream about different things that you want to do. Everyone's got dreams, even you. You don't want kids, but, but there's something you really want to do in your life. Yeah, and I think to an extent, and I hate to say this, but I think a lot of the blame kind of lies of our parents because there's no guide into how to be brought up. And our no. parents, and uh, you know, at our age now, when we see our friends having kids, they don't know what they're doing. You know, They're learning from a book how to weave them or how or when they should be going to the toilet or when to feed them. But emotionally we're only using our own advice and i sometimes think that our parents are pushing us so much that they're not allowing us time to breathe and therefore we're always thinking well they got married at x age so therefore i should be married at x age because you're always comparing yourselves to them but do you think that generationally now because we've become you know i hate the hate the phrase but the kind of woke society that everyone wants to believe that they are now do you think with the kind of leaps and bounds that people come on with, with talking about different things and having the conversations we're having now, do you think generations to come, there'll be less pressure on them as to what we might have had or generations before us to do things by a certain age? Because our generation aren't all getting married by 25, like our mums and dads probably did or, or your granddad and, and whatnot. We're all doing things a slightly different way. And I, I see that diluting and becoming more of a thing. And I think in the future, people will be more free to do what they want to do rather than fitting into this societal thing where they feel like they have to do things at a certain age no because there's two strands there you've got societal strand and what you want to do society is always going to dictate you're going to be having a marriage at about 26 27 years old generationally yeah you should be aspiring to be married at 26 27 but actually you're going to be getting married at 33 34 but that doesn't mean that society is still not dictating you should be getting married a lot earlier in life but society's changed from when uh, our parents got married or, or grandparents or whatever. It, ha it has changed because it's not the norm now for people to get married by 25, is it? No, is but it? they still want it because classically that's what happens. So although it's not happening now, it's still happening. You're still going when you're 16 years old, I will be married in 10 years' time. Even though we know it's not going to happen, you're still thinking of it like that. I, th I think it's just a really interesting thing. For me, like the whole society thing, I think is a constantly evolving thing. Even, do you know what, I'm taking it back to, uh, I've got this podcast about tattoos. Even that, society has changed. Everyone always says to me, oh, what are you gonna look like when you're older? Well, I'm gonna be a big green mess, but so will the majority of people my age now, because back, I interviewed a guy who's, who's the oldest tattoo artist in the world, he's like 80 odd. And he said back then it was only like criminals, people in the Navy that had tattoos. Now it's such a, a regular thing and a, a less taboo thing in society because it's diluted over the years where people just don't give a shit as much. And I think that's gonna be similar with a lot of things like, like marriage and, and whatnot, is eventually my kids, if I have kids, I don't think they'll feel as much pressure to do things by a certain age as what I did, but they will have pressures from something else because society will always put pressure on people no matter what to do something. But some of the things that we feel pressure, they, they probably won't feel as bad as what we do. I don't think my kids, if I have kids, will feel the same pressure to do things by a certain age as what I will. But by that point, there'll be pressure to be doing something else. There's always going to be pressure from society because we're a herd. People have to do things. They look at how people have done things and think that's the right way to do it. That's what I have to aspire to be. No one kind of makes their own way in life anymore and does it how they want to do it because there is so much pressure for society, but it is diluting and changing the way society looks at things. Do you not think? 100% agree with you. Yeah, what we care about now and what shapes our society now will be different to my kids, will be different to their kids, but there will always be pressure. There will always be pressure on people to do things the way that everyone else is doing it. And I think it, it, it stops, it doesn't allow people to express themselves and be free to do the things they want to do. And that's the thing. And I think you've hit the nail on the head there. And, you know, 
especially when it comes to body image, which is also a massive topic, which we haven't even touched on. We're, and we probably won't get time today, but we've got to talk about it. Another point is that we're so accustomed now to looking a certain way, and especially that you're having to be as stick thin as possible. And using your example of the tattoos, as you get older, that guy who went to the gym every single day and went, look at my body and got all the girls when he was young. Well, what's going to happen to him at the end of his life? Because he's not going to have that body shape anymore. And that's what he's relied on, whereas your tattoos are there for life. And they mean something to you. And there's a purpose to them. And that's for you, not for society. And I think body image is very much about society rather than for yourself. Yeah, 100%. Body image is, uh, I mean, that's, it, it's, uh, it's just a pressure cooker, really, isn't it? It's an absolute pressure cooker because, especially with social media, I think it's become so much worse because, you know, even 10 years ago, there wasn't as much social media now. So you weren't being constantly bombarded with ideas of how you're supposed to look. You know, it, 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 there wasn't the pressure for people. And now, because everyone is so intently obsessed with how people look and the aesthetic of, of, of people's lifestyles, again, that's the society thing for us, is it's pushing people to think that that's the way things should be. But we're all so unique and individual. There's no one else that looks like you, Johnny. No one. You can have like people that, you know, another bald guy, there's another long-haired geezer, but no one looks exactly the same as you. And people forgetting the beauty in that is that we're all fucking unique. Every single one of us has got unique attributes that no one else has. But no one wants to celebrate that. They're too busy going to change themselves to be exactly the same as someone else. And I find it baffling. Baffling. Honestly, it's one thing that I've never really thought to myself is, I mean, listen, even doing the game that I do, it's really competitive and you've got some beautiful like, like geezers coming in from Love Island, all these good looking lads. And listen, I'm not, I'm five foot 10. I'm not the tallest bloke in the world. I don't go to the gym. I generally look like I woke up in a weedy bin, but yet I have to go and do photo shoots with geezers who spend all day in the gym and, and, and doing whatever else. And it's really easy for people to look and think, God, I wish I looked like, I wish I looked like that. But at the end of the day, they don't look like me. And they no. don't offer the personality that you offer and they don't live a certain attribute to their lives that you do because people buy into you, not your looks. At the end of the day, at the, at, you know, first of all, your looks are important and especially if we're dating, we're going to look at the girl, but it's always about the inside, not the outside. 100%. I, I, I'm, I'm guilty of the fact that I, when I was younger, I was, I was a bit of a playboy and it just used to be about, you know, what the bird looked like. And as long as you half got on all right with her, it's fine. As long as she was a salt and everyone fancied her, I'd think, yeah, and no, I've done all right there. That's, 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 my, that's my version of thinking that I've done a, a good job. I've got a good bird because everyone fancies her. That, that's, not, that's not what makes a good bird. That's not someone that you should be proud of being with. You should be proud of being with someone that makes you feel better about yourself. You should be proud of someone that benefits your life. Um, and listen, I'm not sitting here saying that it's all about personality because you've got to be attracted to someone. You've got to be attracted to someone. But different things about people make them attractive. And everyone has got different attributes that make them attractive. And we don't appreciate that enough. Do you know what I mean? No one appreciates that enough. You can fall in love with someone's personality. You can do it. I, I, I do believe you can, but you have got to fancy them. So th there is a, an element, but that's, that's more of a sexual thing, I think, isn't it? The, the fancy side of things. But to connect with someone spiritually and mentally, it's not the way someone looks. Yes, but your looks are going to start and then you're going to be looking for that spiritual and emotion because the looks will fade or you've done the looks, you know, you've achieved that. You've got through to them. You've gone, yeah, they're fit. I'm ba I've banged them. Great. Next. Whereas, you know, you're going, right, okay, I fancy you, but actually it isn't all about sex. I actually want to be able to talk to you. I actually want to be able to spend a whole day or a week with you. You know, if you're going on holiday with them, the sex is a smallest part because you're going to be with them 24-7 having three meals a day. You can't escape just going, oh, well, we, we don't talk, but we have sex. And that's absolutely fine. I, th I think what's interesting is someone said it to me. I can't remember who said it to me, but someone said something to me a couple of years ago saying, what you want to do is find someone that you're happy doing nothing with. Yeah. And I think it's not like a, it's a really common thing that, that people say, but I, I really believe it. It's that person you can sit and do nothing with in complete silence and feel content. If you find that, you've done all right. 100%. 100%. That goes back all the way to the beginning about being independent because they should be able to, like you said, you could both be reading books or they could be watching TV and you're on your phone or you're in another room to them, but you know you're in the same flat or place together and you're both content and you don't have to be on each other the whole time. Yeah, um, yeah, 100%. I, th I think it's, it's something that, that that's what you should aspire to. You, sh you should aspire to being with someone that, and this is so cliche, and it sounds like saying that fucking Jerry Maguire, but that does complete you in a way. Yeah. They complete 
your life. It's not about complete, because you're a complete person yourself, but completing your life, that's what you should do. You can complete your life on your own. There's no saying that someone is going to complete that. But if you feel like you've got something missing and someone fills that void and is the, is, is the, the piece of the jigsaw missing, that's what you're looking for. You don't want someone that does the same shit as you and that, that, that is constantly, it shouldn't be hard in my head, it shouldn't be hard to love someone. If it's hard, there's something telling you it's not right. I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you, my friend. Let's talk about you and the journey that you're going on. So obviously, we last saw you on TV last year on TOWIE. Where are we at with TOWIE now? In We're in February now. So where's TOWIE? Because I've not seen anything about it coming back. And obviously, Sebsco dating the mansion is about to finish. And I've got nothing to watch now. <laughs> um, TOWIE is coming back. Um, do you know what? I'm actually quite proud of all, all, all the people on TOWIE, you know, the producers and, and everyone else for the fact that we managed to get a series out last year during the pandemic, and we're gonna do it again. So it's gonna be socially distanced, kind of safe filming, um, but we are coming back and it's gonna be in March. We're back. I don't know dates, but I know it's gonna be March. Do we know how they're gonna film it though? Because obviously with Celebs Go Dating the Mansion, they put everyone together and they got rid of the masks and we knew it was in the pandemic, but it was like, okay, fine. Whereas with TOWIE, it was very much, we've got to show, for example, Chloe and Courtney going into, I think it was Boots or one of those, wearing a mask and taking the mask off and socially distanced and whatnot. Is it going to go back to that element of feeling very coronavirus-y, pandemic-y year? Yeah, it is gonna, it's going to be very uh, topical and relevant based on the fact that, obviously, we are back in the lockdown now. Um, you know, the, the, the main reason we're allowed to film is because it's a set and, and some of that, but a lot of it's going to be outside on walks and all that sort of stuff. And it's going to be one person or, or two people and, and bubbles and all that sort of stuff. So it's all going to be done safely and according to restrictions. But obviously we're going to be filming for, I think it's 11 or 12 weeks. And you never know, we might come out of lockdown in that time, which will make it easier to film. Um, but yeah, we're, we're going to be kind of adhering to what the current state is. You know, Steps Go Dating did amazingly um, for the fact they put everyone in a big bubble and that, but Tally will not be putting everyone in a big house because I think it would be a fucking nightmare. <laughs> a nightmare that we all want to see. What did you... But that's the interesting thing. With Celebs Go Dating the mansion, they put everyone in a mansion, but it lost a lot of its authenticity. The fact that it's always been about you come into the agency, you have your big hug from Tom, and then you have long therapy sessions of Anne and Paul that you get to see, whereas this year's become very Love Island meets Big Brother with a little, little bit of celebs dating. And therefore, I feel four weeks in, I've not learned anything about the celebs other than Wayne Lineker, who's 52 years old, still likes 20-year-old girls. Do you know what? I think this year is a bit of a, um, uh, a weird one. I think it's good TV. But it's not the same experience as when I've done Steps Go Dating or, or, or when you had it before. Because I think, you, like you say, you did learn more about the celebrities. Whereas now what you're doing is, is, is you've got kind of a, a big brothery type vibe to it, um, which is, I think, more entertaining. I do think it's a good series and I do think it's really entertaining, this one. But it hasn't got the DNA of what Celebs Go Dating was, which is actually finding out the deep and emotional parts of what these celebs are interested in and why they haven't been dating properly and and, 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 and kind of all that sort of stuff. So, but I think the whole team at um, E4 and that have done a really good job of, of getting something out during this pandemic that has been quite entertaining. Wayne is a good friend of mine. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I feel bad for Wayne because he, he, he has taken some stick, uh, but, he does need to start going for older women. But I think he's realised that now. I spoke to him yesterday and he has realised that now. But it's been, it's been a bit of a weird series. I do get It's a completely new format. But I think they should keep it going. I couldn't do it, I don't think. But I so. think the problem is with the... Uh, I, I like it to an extent. But I love learning and looking back at me and going, OK, well, Paul told E.L. Booker a couple of years ago, make sure you're facing them with your tummy. Make sure. And, you know, even this year, Kimberly spoke about the triangle. And I went, okay, these are little bites I can take away and put into my own dating life. Whereas I feel like now the people who are going in who are the single people like Matty and Whitney are there to become influencers because there's no Love Island this year. So with Whitney, for example, who's with Kareem, we know that she's insecure. We know that when she has sex, she might finish herself off after as cringy as that is. We know these little attributes now. Whereas actually I want to know about Kareem. What's he like for him to be a Blue Peter CBBC presenter, grow up on kids' TV, and then go, okay, I've done Strictly, now I'm on Subscope Dating, can I really be myself? Or 
do I still see myself as a CBBC presenter? Do you feel like you're losing the insight into the celebs because there's now so much going on in the house that you actually, you've got the singletons and all that sort of stuff. So you, because I mean, it's called celebs go dating. So it should focus around the celebs really. Is, is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, and Anna and Paul. I want to see way more Anna and Paul giving their yeah. therapy talks. I want deep dives. My favorite thing is the deep dive. You had some amazing deep dives. Georgia still had some amazing deep dives. Why are we not seeing that? Yeah, I do. Do you know what? I do agree with that. Actually, I I, I miss um, I miss a lot more of the Paul and Anna um, kind of dynamic because it genuinely, and when you do that show as well, and, and this is why I, I I think them two are absolutely brilliant. As much as it's a TV show, um, they're very very good at what they do, and automatically you go in there and you you do forget TV cameras are there because you just talk to them, and I talk to them outside of it, and they're just such wonderful people. And I do think actually, yeah, they should put more of Paul's deep dives in. He always manages to get everything out of everyone. I'm, I'm like trying to be like that with you now. So what no, Paul did for you in an hour? Every time we have a chat, mate, it's always very deep. And I'm not normally one. I normally just skate around the surface. But you managed to get it out of me, mate. Yes. I'm, I'm channeling my inner Paul C. Brunson. Well, the thing is, is what they do is, is that, and I said this to Paul actually the other week when I was talking to him, is that you do basically an hour of this Love Island Big Brother style absolutely fine and then you do a half an hour therapy session or what big brother did which was back in the day they had big brother obviously monday to friday and then saturday night was big brother on the psych and they brought in judy james or dr pam spur and they would then dissect the weeks going on in the house from a psychological point of view that'd be very good actually i think with big brother as well because you had the diary room bit which was so interesting because that's when you got to know a lot about the actual celebrities individually within the diary room um but that kind of psych rundown that they did in big brother i think it's a great idea you know because they have they do but they have rob beckett which is brilliant i love rob beckett doing the, the commentary at like once a week of the breakdown of the week but maybe they should have paul and anna dissecting the, what's happening and why things are happening instead i think that would actually be a good that's a very good idea you should pitch that mate well, do you want to join me as a pundit? So I think you have Paul and Anna looking from a psychological point of view. You I can talk about it as an ex-housemate. I can talk about it as a, cele as a celeb expert. And there's our show. And then, look, we make money out of this. We've made a show, mate. Oh, this has been a very beneficial morning, I'm telling you. Oh, I, thought, yeah, I thought you might say that for more reasons than one. Um, okay, so we've got Towie coming up. Obviously, we've seen you as a TV presenter of Sam Thompson recently, 11 o'clock on E4 with your reality news. Are you going to do any more type of presenting now? Do you know what, mate? I'm, I'm really interested in just uh, kind of learning different things at different times. Lockdown's kind of made me think, you know, I want to broaden my horizons and, and try some different things. Yeah, me and Sam have got the show, uh, Reality News, which we write every week and, and we kind of started as a lockdown thing for us. And we're really grateful that E4 have, have stuck it on the telly. Fuck knows why they have, but they have. Um, and we've managed to get four weeks so far without being decommissioned, which is a, a start. Um, so that's going to be going on for the next few weeks. I'm also going to be doing a radio show as well, which is going to be an interesting one, which is based around dating, which is ideal for Valentine's Day. Um, so, yeah, I'm just trying different things. Presenting something that I never really thought it was, it was something I wanted to do, because I'm quite probably opinionated and outspoken for that. But me and Sam, Sam loves it. Sam's a very good presenter and he's done all sorts of things before. So I'm kind of learning a bit off Sam and just seeing where that takes us, really. So what radio station are you doing? Are you going to be the next Radio 1 boy? You know, Capital FM boy? Are you joining me at Talk Radio and Times Radio? What are you doing, mate? That would be lovely, yeah. Um, yeah Roman Kemp doesn't need to worry too much yet. Um, but um, no, it's going to be FUBAR. I'm doing it with CC from First Dates. And we're just hosting Brilliant. like a, a bit of a chinwag um, and a chat about dating, really. She's obviously seen a lot of dates happen and unfold on First Dates. Um, and I've obviously been in a lot of dates <laughs> over my uh, illustrious dating career which has all been uh, an absolute fail but I've, I've, I've listen i've been there i've done it i've got the t-shirt so so yes it's just a it'd be an interesting little little bit of bit of fun on a friday night for us and what time will that be 6 p.m what just the whole evening 6 p.m to 3am yeah um i think people can only take me in short doses mate i think an hour's enough <laughs> um, okay well look your hour's nearly up with me my friend let's quickly talk about why you're really here not why you're really here because obviously you want to talk to me but you're being paid to talk to me so you may as well get all get your money's worth so you're working with Badu for this new research into cancel times day what they're calling valentine's day but for single people so let me run through some stats quickly uh 56 of singletons are relieved the occasion is being made a big deal of 
30% say the pandemic has already made them worry about being single, 38% believe it's too commercialised, and 25% find the whole concept too hashtag cringy. What are we thinking about Valentine's Day this year, my friend? I, um, I hate Valentine's, if I'm honest with you. I absolutely despise it. Um, so I'm quite happy that it's, it's sort of been cancelled this year. I always feel like there's a lot of pressure on Valentine's. There's pressure when you're in a couple um, to go and do something wonderful for your missus or for your fella. Um, and when you're single, there's either pressure to get a date for Valentine's or there's pressure to, if you are sort of talking to someone and it's fairly new, do I get them something? Do I not get something? Is it going to look like I'm in love with them? Is it? I, I feel like it's always just a bit of pressure. Um, so I, I'm not a big fan of Valentine's. So I don't mind the fact that it's been cancelled. But um, Badoo's been, I mean, brilliant actually for me in lockdown because we've not been able to go out dating, have we? Do you know what I mean? You've not been able to go and date anyone in a bar and, and, and kind of meet people. So um, a lot of people have turned to online dating, um, which I think is the way forward. I've got to say, it negates all the awkwardness of a first date. Um, and Badoo's really good because you can kind of, you, you can put in your, the distance you want someone to live in, the age you're looking for, the interests, all that sort of stuff. So you kind of a, a matchmaking yourself without having to go through that awkward stage of finding that you're not really interested in that person. So how are you finding online dating? Because surely they see a short man with long hair, loads of tattoos and go, that's the love rat off of Towie. I'm definitely not swiping for him. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, online dating being in the public eye is a little bit interesting because I think people have an idea about you before, um, before they even speak to you. But it's also quite beneficial. If you, if you go back to, you know, how like my nan and, and granddad, they used to tell me about, how they date and you, and you couldn't readily see people that easily. So they used to send letters and get to know each other through communicating and actually talking. Um, and I think that's what online dating does for you now. You, you can sit and have a conversation with someone like we are now. And if you've got chemistry or, or you can have a conversation like this, you should be pretty good on a first date. Whereas sometimes if you go on a first date and you, you've not really met that person or you've not really spoken to them properly before and you, you, you can't understand the mannerisms, it can get quite awkward. And I think it's a really good way of getting to know people because you haven't got any outside distractions. So video calling and, and kind of Zoom dating, I think it's a really good thing. It's interesting, so I've got a date on Wednesday on Zoom, but I feel like there's more distractions than less because you're like, oh, I might just clean that bit up, or all oh, my phone's going to go off, or all oh, my laptop's going to go off, or, you know, I'll just have TV on in the background. Now, I don't actually feel we are going to give ourselves completely, unlike if you're going to go for a drink with someone. I, see, I, I disagree, because I think if you can captivate someone over a Zoom, and you can sit and be engrossed in what someone's saying over a FaceTime or a Zoom, or the video calling thing on the do, then that tells you that you're interested in that person. If you're on Zoom and you're busy worrying about cleaning this, that and the other, you're obviously not that interested. And I think trying to, trying to create chemistry when you can't be tactile, and I'm quite a tactile person, so when it comes to dating for me, a lot of things are about touch, not in a weird way, but a lot of things about body language and touch and all that sort of stuff. And that's kind of my default of how I know it's going to be a good date. When you don't have that, all you rely on is what that person's saying. So that way it gives you an opportunity to get to know someone even better because you're just listening to what someone's saying. You haven't got the outside influence of ordering drinks or bumping into people you know or, or doing whatever else. You've just got that one person in front of you. And if you can get on on Zoom and create chemistry on Zoom or on uh, the video calling app on Badoo or FaceTime or whatever it may be, you're surely onto a winner. Thank you so much to Badu for allowing Pete to actually talk to me. It's taken me two years to get him on my podcast. Um, he was on, I think you're on like one of the first ever episodes and it's taken me two years to get you finally to come back on here. You've been listening to Johnny C for On Securities. If you've liked what we had, please do like the podcast, rate it and subscribe to it. It's really important that you help me say it's okay to not be okay. It's really helped me, uh, really important that you help me get up on the iTunes chart. Leave a five-star rating and please leave a review. And if you like what Pete said today, give him a nice tweet. He doesn't get enough of them. And also, if you ever tweet his uh, tweet him, his mum will retweet it and like it for you as well. So <laughs> there's that bonus as well. Dear Tracy, thank you. Um, you've been listening to Security and Security with me, Johnny Seifer. Until next time, thank you and goodbye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 